Dr. Kristen Oja here, entrepreneur and functional medicine expert. Welcome to Little By Podcast, where our goal is to empower you to achieve optimal health, one step and one episode at a time. Taking a functional medicine approach will cover a variety of health and wellness topics, from how to optimize performance to how to balance your hormones and everything in between. This podcast is for educational purposes only, so please be sure to consult your healthcare provider before incorporating any changes into your daily routine. Now grab your headphones and let's go for a walk as we take steps towards becoming your best self. Today's episode is for anybody struggling to lose weight, maybe has a family history of diabetes or prediabetes, listened to the previous podcast on PCOS and wants to learn more about blood sugar. This episode is all about insulin resistance. And this is such a hot topic here in the United States with one in three Americans suffering from insulin resistance. And really, I think that statistic is so much higher, uh, but a lot of people don't know they have blood sugar issues until they get diagnosed with prediabetes or diabetes. So I first wanted to touch on what is insulin. This is a very important hormone that is produced by our pancreas that helps push blood sugar or glucose into our cells to be used for energy. So without insulin, we're not able to pick up the glucose in our bloodstream and use it for fuel. So insulin is a critical hormone, and when our insulin is all over the place, it can impact our blood sugar control. So when insulin resistance occurs, that is when the cells in our muscles, our fat, our liver don't respond as effectively to insulin. So our pancreas keeps trying to make more insulin to make up for it. And over time, our blood sugar becomes elevated. And kind of worst case scenario in this is that our pancreas gets exhausted over time and we end up having insulin dependent diabetes. But this is not having good blood sugar control. Yes, is important for insulin resistance and preventing prediabetes and diabetes, but it's also really important just for our quality of life. So if our blood sugar is going up and down, up and down all day long, we're going to feel more tired. We're going to be hungry. We're going to be irritable, have brain fog. And we often see people with blood sugar issues trouble have trouble losing weight, especially that abdominal weight gain. A lot of that goes in line with um, high insulin, high glucose. And there's a lot of risk factors for insulin resistance. One is a sedentary lifestyle. So if you're not moving much, you're not um, pulling in that glucose into your muscles, and you can have higher blood sugar and be at risk for insulin resistance. Chronic stress, our stress hormone cortisol, Cortisol, when it's too high, increases our blood sugar. Cortisol is actually very similar to taking steroids. So if you've ever been on steroids for a lung infection or you threw out your back, they often say you're more hungry. And when you're more hungry, you're choosing more carbs and things that are going to bring your blood sugar up quickly. And cortisol, that stress hormone, also naturally keeps your blood sugar high because who knows when you're going to need to run from that bear. That's really why on a cellular level, cortisol keeps glucose higher is it never knows when you're going to need that energy because you're and fight or flight. Poor sleep. We know sleep deprivation is correlated to diabetes and prediabetes. Um, obesity, especially again, that abdominal weight gain, 
family history of diabetes puts you at risk, although we really believe genetics is only about 10 to 25% of the story, and 75 to 90% is what we can control with our lifestyle, our environment, diet, exercise, all of those. If you have PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, which we did a whole episode on this, you're at higher risk for insulin resistance. Smoking, certain medications, as I mentioned, like steroids. If you had gestational diabetes or diabetes when you were pregnant, you're at a higher risk for insulin resistance. And then eating a diet rich in processed foods and carbohydrates. We often refer to this as the SAD diet or the standard American diet increases your risk of insulin resistance. And it's important when you're trying to identify blood sugar control that you don't just look at a hemoglobin A1C at your annual physical. You really want to take a deeper dive into blood sugar regulation So we want you to at least check a fasting glucose or your blood sugar first thing in the morning without eating for 8 to 12 hours. We also like to look at a fasting insulin. This is the amount of insulin that's circulating in your bloodstream before you've had anything to eat, again, within that 8 to 12-hour window. And when you haven't eaten for 8 to 12 hours, your insulin should be really nice and low. And the range for insulin is anywhere from like 2.4 to 25, depending on what lab you're looking at. And to us, if you come in and your fasting insulin's at 12, 18, 22, that is a precursor for insulin resistance. You are already having some metabolic imbalances. We really like that fasting insulin under seven and a half, first thing in the morning, fasting. So we like to look at a fasting glucose, a fasting insulin, and we do look at a hemoglobin A1C as well, which is a three-month average of how well you've controlled your blood sugar. So hemoglobin A1C is a better long-term picture of blood sugar control where fasting glucose glucose and insulin is pretty immediate. We also look at um, markers like C-peptide or leptin levels. Uh, We also can look at things like a blood sugar or an insulin one hour or two hours post-meal. And the really cool thing at Stat Wellness, we've actually started doing a blood sugar boot camp. And we're running this quarterly because we found so much valuable tools out of wearing a continuous glucose monitor. And what that is, it's a little device that goes on your arm that checks your blood sugar every 15 minutes. And through this blood sugar boot camp, we really help our clients identify how diet, stress, sleep, exercise affects your blood sugar, not just what does the research say or what helps your neighbor, but what really impacts your blood sugar. And we've learned a lot of really cool things. Like for me, when I did the first blood sugar boot camp, I learned a few things. I learned that the order in which I ate my food made a difference. So if I ate the protein on my plate first, I actually had more stable blood sugar post-meal than if I ate a carbohydrate first. And I think part of that is because carbohydrates are broken down and absorbed so quickly, they're going to start to bring up your blood sugar before your protein and healthy fat can really be absorbed and stabilize that blood sugar. So that was something super interesting that I wouldn't have been able to identify. I also found out when I came home super hungry and was having an apple while I cooked dinner, that apple skyrocketed my blood sugar, even though I was eating a protein, healthy fat, heavy meal, as soon as I, like within 10 minutes of eating that apple, that still made a big difference. But if I came home and ate like 10 almonds while I was cooking, my blood sugar was super stable. So it's really cool to one, look at what is your, your blood work show? What is your fasting glucose, your fasting insulin? What is your hemoglobin A1C? But even better, what is happening with your blood sugar every 15 minutes throughout the day? Is cardio better for you or strength? Is sleep your biggest variable? If you were sleep deprived, is that what impacts your blood sugar the most? 
we did find a lot of people had blood sugar elevate in response to stress. So again, part of that is normal because you're trying to fuel your brain. Your brain relies on glucose for fuel. So your blood sugar may go up a little bit to help you think and help you focus through a high stress meeting, but too much stress can elevate your blood sugar over time. So really, really fascinating. If you guys are interested in joining our next blood sugar boot camp, we actually just started one today. But if you're interested in joining our next one, follow at Stat Wellness on Instagram or sign up for our newsletter on statwellness.com for more information on when the next group is starting. But maybe you're not ready to join the group or you just want some general kind of things you can start doing today to help have better blood sugar control, one, for your quality of life, but two, to prevent insulin resistance, prediabetes, and diabetes. So I wanted to go through about six different steps of things that you can do. The first one is our food. I really think diet plays a huge, huge role. And the way we eat our food is really going to impact our blood sugar control. So if we are eating high carbs all day long, our blood sugar is going to go up and down, up and down all day long. So carbohydrates are anything like berries to sweet potatoes to a bagel to a waffle pasta, um, any kind of flour, uh, carb, sugar, any of those things are carbohydrates that can spike your blood sugar if they're not well balanced. So when we're looking at making our plate, we really like to follow the plate method at Stat Wellness. And we we don't want our patients to overcomplicate this. We really want you eating off a nine-inch plate. Um, I know now they're 13 inches, 14 inches, but you really want to eat off a nine-inch plate, what it used to be decades ago. And you want 50% of your plate to be vegetables, all the different colors of the rainbow. Most vegetables are going to be lower in carbs and higher in fiber to help with blood sugar stability. And you also get a lot of micronutrients. You get a lot of vitamins in those veggies. So we really encourage our patients to eat more plants. 25% needs to be a good quality protein. So that can be eggs or chicken or fish or grass-fed red meat or any of those proteins that are really going to help with uh, stabilizing our blood sugar. And protein actually has the highest thermic effect from food. So you burn the most calories when you eat protein. So you you want to make sure you're having protein with each meal. And then the other 25%, if you're low carb, could be just a healthy fat like avocado slices or some nuts, um, nut butters. But if you're not being super low carb, then that can be a good complex carb. And we really encourage when you're choosing carbs to choose carb sources that have at least three to five grams of fiber, if not more. And the reason is fiber helps to slow down the digestion of these carbs and prevents a spike in a drop. So if you're looking at what is a starchy carb versus a complex carb, you really want to look at the net carbohydrates. So you take the total carbohydrates, subtract the fiber and figure out what is the net carb. So we like carbohydrates, things like quinoa, chickpeas. They now make chickpea pasta. We like beans and lentils, raspberries, blackberries, those are carbs with lots of fiber. Or maybe you just want to add high fiber foods to your meal to help get those net carbs in balance. You can add things like ground flaxseed or chia seeds. Avocado is actually really high in fiber artichokes, cruciferous vegetables. So we really want to make well-balanced meals, 50% plant-based, lots of veggies, 25% protein, good quality protein, 
25% a complex carb. Put the berries on there, the quinoa, the sweet potatoes, and then you really want to be adding healthy fats throughout. Most people need about a tablespoon of healthy fat per meal, depending on your calorie goals and your exercise levels. Um, But that is really foundational. We also don't need to be eating all day long, but we did find in the blood sugar boot camp some people do better with small, more frequent meals, where some people do better eating three well balanced meals. I don't think we are all created identically the same, and we don't all thrive with the same style of eating. So it's really important to understand what makes you feel good and what is happening with your blood sugar throughout the day. But when we do eat, whether it is three well balanced meals or small meals, throughout the day, it's really important that they're well-balanced. So they're going to keep our blood sugar stable, not spike us and drop us. So you don't want to be eating carbs alone. You don't want to just grab an apple or have a fruit smoothie without enough protein and healthy fats in it. You really want to eat these well-balanced meals to help with blood sugar control. The next thing is exercise, really specifically strength training. Strength training increases insulin sensitivity in our muscles. And a study was done uh, fairly recently that found that even 15 to 20 minutes of strength training three times per week had the power to increase insulin sensitivity by 16% in just six weeks. So strength training really increases the insulin sensitivity on a cellular level, meaning your cells are going to be more sensitive to the insulin and the glucose going into them to be used as energy. So as we talked about before, insulin resistance is when our muscles, our fat, and our liver don't respond as effectively to insulin. So our pancreas is working harder, yet our blood sugar is going up in our bloodstream. So if we can make our cells more insulin sensitive, sensitive, then we're going to be able to use our carbohydrates, use our glucose and our sugar more effectively. So it's really about making your body in a healthy metabolic state by eating the right foods, exercising specifically that strength training. The other thing, and I know I just did a podcast on sleep, sleep is really one of the most important things that we can do. We talk about how it's arguably just as important as what we're eating and how we're moving. So if you are not sleeping seven to eight hours per night, you need to put that as a top priority on your health because it is going to promote longevity if you're getting good quality sleep. But sleep deprivation has really been correlated with prediabetes and diabetes. So we know that sleep deprivation increases cortisol, which increases glucose, but sleep deprivation also raises our ghrelin hormone, which is our hunger. It's our growl hormone and decreases leptin, which helps us feel full. So we are just more hungry and making poor decisions throughout the day, which most likely is going to be reaching for carbs because that gives us energy. So we've got to start prioritizing our sleep and aiming for seven to eight hours of good quality sleep. The next thing is manage our stress. Keeping our cortisol levels balanced throughout the day is going to really help with our appetite, and it's really going to help with our blood sugar levels. So again, cortisol high, blood sugar high, and when our cortisol gets up, it typically comes down, and low cortisol can also make us very hungry. So you don't want to be too high or too low with cortisol, and we really want to make sure we're managing our stress. And think about what are small things you can do that is going to help you manage stress. I'm a really big proponent for, on Sunday, looking at the week ahead and blocking time for exercise, blocking time for self-care. And that can be as simple as going for a 15-minute walk. It can be as simple as doing some deep breathing 
breathing first thing in the morning, just taking nice, slow, deep breaths. It can be three times a week taking an Epsom salt bath. Maybe you light a candle with some essential oils and dim the lights or read a book. Whatever is de-stressing, relaxing, and fulfilling for you, you need to schedule it in just like you would any other meeting. We also talk about adding in, in our patients with insulin resistance, prediabetes, or diabetes, some diluted apple cider vinegar. And I know this is not a all of a sudden going to cure everything and get you from being uh, pre-diabetic to having great blood sugar control. But there are some small studies that have found that using diluted apple cider vinegar can help with post-meal blood sugar or post-preannual blood sugar. Uh, They've also found that it can lower fasting blood sugar, so first thing in the morning, and hemoglobin A1C. And yes, these studies are small in sample, but remember, little by little, a little becomes a lot. So if digestion tolerates it, try some diluted apple cider vinegar before for your meal and see how you feel and see what happens with your blood sugar levels over, you know, a 12 week period. The most important thing though, is make sure you dilute the apple cider vinegar. If you don't, and you're drinking it straight, your gastroenterologist and your dentist is going to be very unhappy with me because it's very acidic and it can be hard on your teeth enamel and it can be hard on your esophagus. So you have to make sure that you dilute the apple cider vinegar with water, um, or just make like salad dressings with it, things like that. But the vinegar has has been shown in small studies to help with post-meal blood sugar and fasting blood sugar and hemoglobin A1C. The last thing is if you're doing all of these things and you're still struggling with high insulin or fasting glucose, or you're in the pre-diabetic category, it may be time to add in some supplements. And we really focus on lifestyle. And then the next tier is supplements. And if that doesn't work, the third tier is medication. So we want to try all of these things first before we move to medication but there is a time and a place. If you are quickly becoming pre-diabetic or diabetic, it may be time to add in medication because you do not want to get to that worst case scenario that we talked to at the beginning when the pancreas is completely exhausted and you are now insulin dependent. There is nothing we can do besides give you insulin at that point, typically, to have that pancreas work again. So we really want to be proactive and kind of take a tier-based approach. So first lifestyle, then supplements, and then pharmaceuticals. And the supplements that we use, there's kind of four things that I love when it comes to blood sugar control. One is berberine. Berberine is one of my favorites. There has been several studies done on berberine and blood sugar control, but one study found that 500 milligrams three times per day for three months may be as effective as metformin, which is a medication to help with insulin sensitivity. So berberine is a great thing to add in if you have PCOS or insulin resistance, prediabetes, berberine is great. Of course, make sure you talk with your healthcare provider before implementing anything new into your daily uh, routine. Chromium is also a, a great trace mineral that can be very effective for increasing insulin sensitivity. So we know strength training and exercise increases insulin sensitivity, but so can minerals like chromium. So we recommend 500 micrograms two times per day to help with that insulin sensitivity. The last two that I really like, alpha lipoic acid. This is a powerful antioxidant that also can help with blood sugar regulation. And the cool thing about alpha 
lipoic acid if you are listening and you already are a diabetic or you have some neuropathy, um, so you don't have as much feeling in your toes or things like that. Alpha lipoic acid has really been studied for diabetic neuropathy as well and can help with nerve health and blood sugar control. So I love alpha lipoic acid. Depends on the person, but 300 to 600 milligrams twice a day is the dose I recommend. And then the last one I feel like we can't talk about enough is vitamin D. Vitamin D is a super important vitamin um, that helps with inflammation, mood, hormone balance, cancer prevention, but it also helps with blood sugar balance. So a lot of my patients that are vitamin D deficient are also insulin resistant. So if we can get the vitamin D level up, we can help with blood sugar regulation. So if you have done all of the things that we talked about, you're eating well-balanced meals, you've incorporated strength training in consistently, you're prioritizing your sleep, you're managing your stress, you've incorporated some diluted apple cider vinegar. Maybe it's time to add in some of the berberine, chromium, alpha lipoid, acid or vitamin D with your healthcare provider's permission. And then if those things don't work, there is a time and a place for medication. And things like metformin can be very effective for weight loss, blood sugar regulation, increasing insulin sensitivity on a cellular level, and preventing prediabetes from becoming diabetes. So if you want to know where you stand with your blood sugar control, or if you want to uh, join our next blood sugar boot camp, make sure to sign up for our next group, our newsletter. Follow us on Instagram. You can follow at Stat Wellness to learn more about the blood sugar boot camp. You can always message me at Dr. Kristen Oja. Check um, out my Instagram. I'm starting to push more material there as well from an educational standpoint. If there's anything that you guys want to hear on the podcast, always send me an email at hello at drkristenoja.com. I love to hear what you guys want to learn more about and pull those into these podcasts. I have so much fun with you guys and um, look forward to more. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, remember, little by little, a little becomes a lot. Even the smallest changes over time can lead to total mind and body transformation. I'd love for you to stay connected with at Dr. Kristen Oja and at Stat Wellness on Instagram. And if you have any questions, be sure to reach out. I'd love to hear from you.